what does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft with Pioneer Rx. And it seems that there are definite geographical hotspots in the country where we have guests on again and again from the North Carolina region. Uh, and it seems even more and more uh, recently, the Pacific Northwest. Joining us today uh, is Chris Schaffner from the Pacific Northwest, where we've had, again, a few guests from lately, but just a lot going on in Washington. Uh, and interested to hear your take on, is that a coincidence? Why do you think that is? And uh, look forward to hearing about your pharmacy. So thanks for joining us, Chris. Oh, thanks, Will. It's a, it's an honor to be here. I was thinking about that too. Like, why why are there so many people from Washington recently? And I kind of figure you guys are just trying to save on shipping costs for the uh, Pelican case. You know, if it yeah yeah that factors in. Area. <laughs> yeah, you know, everything's more expensive these days. So I, I'm I was less flattered to get it. I just figured it was more of a budget thing this time. <laughs> You know, I, I think I, I think a lot of that really does come down to the community of independent pharmacies and how, a just independent pharmacies outside of any larger organization really tend to communicate and, and work together so much. But you definitely see those communities where you know forward-thinking pharmacies are able to advance the industry, even if it is you know, geographically uh, kind of isolated at times, but but that definitely expands. And it's exciting to, you know, focus on that and get the word out and and see what's going on up there. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent agree. I think networking is everything. So having that professional network, uh, you know, especially if they're close by and you can meet for lunch to bounce ideas off of each other. And, and that's why, you know, conferences and things like that, especially post COVID are so important. You know, we've got NCPA next week and, you know, it's it's a way to build on that network. And there's so many incredible people in independent pharmacy that are doing great things. So to build relationships and learn from them. Um, I know, you know, I'm not even close to the smartest guy in the field, but I'm, I'm happy to know some smart people. And they, they've truly helped me out a ton. You know, you've got Nicolette Matthews and, and John Hires out there that um, inspire me to, to do things. And so, you know, without them, I think my business would be several years behind where it is today. So, yeah, it's a really cool community, no doubt. Yeah, a fun fun story. I love John, and I actually uh, installed his pharmacy when I was on the installation team years and years ago. And uh, you know, it, it was just such a a, a neat uh, neat pharmacy to be in. He had he had a great energy, you know. And it's funny you can you can pick out those 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 people who are passionate about what they're doing and uh, and doing it for for the big reasons, you know, the bigger whys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Him and I have a good time. We, we blast each other on social media. And, you know, like whenever something cool happens, we have to brag on each other. And he, he's pretty good at outdoing me. So I'm going to save a couple big, big wins up and set in his weight, <laughs> hopefully soon. Well, you've had quite a few big wins uh, as of late, right? So Schaffner Pharmacy, tell me a little bit about that. I, um, I went to uh, Google Street View and drove around your town and um, – it is incredibly picturesque. You're about an hour south of uh, the Canadian border, I guess. Just beautiful landscape. It looks like an amazing community. And 
Uh, you've recently moved into a new building. Tell me a little bit about the pharmacy itself. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. We're about an hour south of the Canadian border, about an hour north of Seattle, so sandwiched in there. Um, the Pacific Northwest is is beautiful in its own right. You know, we have the mountains 30 minutes from the pharmacy, the water's 20 minutes away. So really kind of, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of beautiful places in the country, but this is this is one of them. And so, you know, our town for the most part is, you know, I think still rural, about 11,000 people, but it's actively growing as we see people push out of Seattle and, you know, more people are working remotely. They're looking for this exact type of community. And so it's it's kind of the perfect situation for us where we've really become, just like most independent pharmacies, a major part of the community and the healthcare delivery system within it. And so, uh, yeah, we we acquired a, a building that was an old bank. It had been vacant for several years. So we we gutted and remodeled it. Uh, moved into it July 18th, and along with the pharmacy, we opened up a coffee shop called Apothecary Coffee uh, within the space as well, which is something I've always wanted to do, but our, our previous space just didn't allow for it. So it's been a really fun journey uh, getting into the coffee business, totally different than prescriptions, you know, where you can set your own price and there's no <laughs> yeah, audit. Yeah, IRs. yeah, nobody comes back and audits you on a latte six months later. So um, it's been really fun. And to see how the two businesses are symbiotic and how it really changes the the sort of the culture and the feel within the pharmacy and relaxes people. It's been mm. such a, a cool journey. So, yeah, I mean, that's such a kind of a natural fit with the coffee culture and, and that part of the country is, you know, kind of ever present. And and you're right. I think it does kind of slow it down a little bit and make it more of a uh, even more of a community hub. Absolutely. I think, you know, when we look at what our pharmacies do, I mean, especially in smaller towns, the pharmacy a lot of times is sort of a social gathering place. I mean, how many times do you have patients in line to pick something up and, you know, gyms behind them and they start talking about, you know, what happened at the football game last night or, or whatever it might be. And so, uh, the coffee just really helps to increase that feeling, that vibe. Um, and so people are coming in just hanging out, sitting by the fireplace now. And, and we love that. And so, you know, you have patients waiting on vaccines or, or waiting on prescriptions. They'll grab a cup of coffee with their, their spouse or their friends and, uh, it's just, it's kind of heartwarming to see that because when you're remodeling the place and you're spending all this money, you're hoping people use it. It's kind of like throwing a party or just a really expensive party and hoping somebody shows up. So it's been, uh, it's been a ton of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I, uh, I remember installing uh, a pharmacy in a small town in Texas called Owl Drug. And, uh, that was one of the neat things about that pharmacy. It was a small town and they had the, uh, you know, little diner, um, but you know, it was the coffee that brought the the same group of people in every morning, every morning to have the coffee crews. And it is such a, a unique part of, you know, culture and, and uh, you know, just spending time in your community. It's it's funny how coffee and, you know, uh, I guess pubs to a different extent can can do that. Absolutely. Well, that's the next step, right? Like we got to go into beer and wine. But truly, I mean, those things, they, they break down communication barriers. They make people more comfortable. And that's what healthcare is all about, right, is developing those relationships, being able to talk to patients without that sort of clinical or, or intimidating barrier that they feel in a lot of other settings. And that's why independent pharmacy can make such tremendous interventions is we have those relationships. So it's just taking it one step further. You know, and if you don't have yeah. the space to do a coffee shop, you know, you, you can do it other ways, too, by just making sure that the, the ambiance in your lobby is is welcoming and inviting for people to come and spend time in the place they want to be. Yeah. I mean, when when you compare that against other aspects of a patient's healthcare journey, you know, that that is a stark difference than, 
you know, sitting on the crinkly paper in the physician's office, right? Like that is a night and day. And I, and I think that's going to open up a completely different level of communication uh, with, with whoever you're, you're talking with. Absolutely. And it's kind of, we, we gen, you know, you know, COVID really advanced pharmacy several, maybe even a decade ahead of where it was. And so being seen now as a true healthcare destination, uh, it's nice to change that feel. So they come in and they're immediately at ease. This is a place they want to seek you know, healthcare. So as we continue down that journey and, and medical billing is something we're really working on right now, um, you know, hopefully that, that eases that transition for us. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting too. You're in a, uh, an old bank. I was talking with somebody at a trade show this summer and they were like, yeah, I'm looking at this old building. It used to be a bank. So I'm a little nervous about it. I'm like, what do you mean? That means they've already done so much research to the location and, and how it should be positioned. You know, the, the architecture of a bank is designed to convey uh, stability. You know, uh, that's yeah. one of the common factors. And not to mention they generally have a great drive through you're exactly right. Yeah. If you start looking at new construction and putting drive throughs in and impact fees and all that stuff that, that counties and cities make you pay, if you can find an existing location with that already built out, and you're right, the, the interior of a bank is set up very similar to a community pharmacy with the way the counters and the lobbies are arranged. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think they're, they're great. They're great. Uh, um, what do you call it? Sort of transition pieces if you can find one. So and it seems like yeah. banks turn yeah. over like crazy. So just keep your eye out. And you have a, a, a great C2 cabinet built in, right? Absolutely. Except for, you know, this, <laughs> the door to the safe is so darn heavy. I'm really scared to close it because if I can't figure out how to open it, I don't know who in the country can. You know, you got to call like Ocean's Eleven <laughs> to come out there and crack that thing. But, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So <laughs> how, how long have you guys been in that location? We, we came in July 18th. So it's just been a, a month and a half, two months here. Um, so... We're finally settled in and all those projects that we had to table, you know, prior to the move as we focused on on getting everything moved over, we're, we're able to pick back up and and kind of dive in, which is just in time for, you know, Omicron boosters and flu season to come out, which has been a, a big push for us trying to make sure we're, we're vaccinating as many people as possible. I think that's something that most independents are doing right now, but uh, really focusing on not just the vaccine they're there for, but putting in additional screening measures to make sure that um, if they're if they need a hepatitis or a pneumococcal or shingles vaccine that we're able to to get them on schedule prepared to receive all that at once so that um, we, we capture that that visit and make the most of it. Wow. So um, I guess in that time, then, if you've only been in there a few months, that means that throughout covid on top of doing all of those immunizations and testing and, and social distancing and all of those challenges, that means you were also. Uh, shopping for a new location, remodeling. Um, how long were you open prior? You know, what what's the history of that uh, Schaffner Pharmacy prior to this location? Yeah, so the pharmacy is about four and a half years old, and so we were in our previous location, which was within a clinic building. Uh, the clinic was a great partner to us. I think it was very uh, symbiotic, us helping them and them helping us. And so, yeah, we opened in April of 2018. Uh, you know, started off with a pretty good following already, pretty good patient base. So it uh, made that startup phase quite a bit easier. Uh, but then in June of 2018, I was actually diagnosed with stage three uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. So that definitely threw a curveball into the into the business plan. You know, it's something wow. like that's, you know, yeah, that stage of the, the game, you know, you can't really afford to hire another pharmacist, you know. So I think I remember getting a call uh, from my primary care physician after we did a routine CT scan. 
and him telling me that he thought I had cancer. And I remember just kind of leaning against the bathroom door thinking, gosh, you know, like, is my business going to survive? You know, I probably should call a lawyer today and make sure that, you know, all the licenses are going to pass to my family. You know, how does that all work? You know, things that you never really think about. So that was, uh, that made up the first eight months of our, our journey as a new pharmacy, you know, surviving, not just, you know, startup phase, but surviving cancer as well. Um, you know, getting on the other side of that. And, you know, we had about a three or four month kind of break and then COVID hit and we started the craziness that everybody experienced with that. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I, I, I was a psych major for a little while, but <laughs> you, you just completely com compartmentalized a very personal, you know, medical struggle, uh, and, and made like a business management, uh, assessment uh, of everything first. W w was that like how you dealt with that difficult news kind of just to compartmentalize and, and say, okay, how do we move forward? Or, I mean, because that's an interesting way to, uh, to handle that kind of news. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that, obviously that wasn't the entirety of like the mental thought process. <laughs> that was just, I think, you know, as pharmacists, you know, at our nature, we're extremely practical. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and so that was the practical side of the brain thinking, you know, you better get your ducks in order in case you don't, you know, you, you check out of this world here pretty soon. Um, but you know, there was the full range of emotions and, you know, I certainly had my, my pity parties and, and the why me's and, you know, Hey, we're doing good work. Why would this happen to, to me? But at the same time, I think in some ways I kind of had prepared my whole life for that, pushing myself, pushing my body, uh, it sort of prepared me for the mental and physical battle that chemotherapy was. And, you know, I'm glad if it had to happen to somebody in my family, I'd want it to be me, right? Like I, I think that I may be better suited for that type of struggle than, than anybody else around me. I certainly wouldn't want, you know, my family to go through it. So, um, yeah, we, it was, it was not, uh, an easy journey, but one that I, I'm glad in the end I went through because I, I learned a lot more about myself and what I'm capable of. I think I'm a firm believer that everybody should do something really, really hard, you know, like at least once a year to push themselves and, and prove to themselves that they can do more than they ever thought. And that was just that, that wasn't a voluntary thing that was just kind of forced on me. So that was my thing for 2018. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll just like run a marathon or something this year and make it easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a, uh, yeah. What a way to look at that as, you know, here's the challenge I'm going to overcome. And, and I, I can only imagine that, you know, as a, a pharmacist who's, you know, coaching and, and, and working with patients that are facing those same obstacles day in and day out, you know, that kind of personal experience, um, you know, if you take it in stride and, and take it with that attitude can only make you a better, uh, you know, healthcare rock for that, for that patient base. A hundred percent. You know, you're exactly right to see the healthcare system from the patient side and the frustrations just with scheduling and prior authorizations. You know, we see it on the prescription side, but talk about those sort of delays with scans and, and imaging tests, which are, you know, the, the amount of anxiety that goes into them for the patient themselves and then to be waylaid by insurance, it is incredibly frustrating. So I really learned that you have to be your own best advocate in healthcare to sort of keep those sticky wheels moving. And so telling patients that, and, and I think now I'm, I'm definitely more compassionate than I was. You know, we have a, it's pretty easy in healthcare to be calloused and um, after doing it for years and years, you know, to get burned out. So I have a new appreciation for the patient struggle and how, um, how tough it can be. Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing was, you know, I, I, I recovered from cancer a few months later, I hired another pharmacist. She was fresh out of school 
um, to kind of start part-time three weeks after she started with me, she was diagnosed with a different type of lymphoma, but the same stage. So she went through that process. Um, I don't know what it is, like why pharmacists have such bad healthcare tracks in my pharmacy. You know, if you're out there and you want to work for me, maybe <laughs> seek employment elsewhere. But <laughs> I was able to help her through that as best I could. And, you know, now she's doing great. So, um, you know, it's such an interesting journey for both of us. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So this is 2018. You're, you're taking this on. Um, were you at an independent prior to that or was this right out of school? I'm going to go open a, open a pharmacy or how'd that come about? No, no. I, yeah. I'm way older than I look. Um, I've got great, great skincare <laughs> routine. So <laughs> I was managing uh, an independent pharmacy straight out of school in 2000. I graduated 2007 from the University of Washington, managed an independent for several years until it was acquired by a hospital system and then helped manage pharmacies for them uh, and manage a 340B side of things for about 10 years uh, before we decided to open our own store. So, you know, I, I'd been around the industry a lot, mostly on that sort of independent community side. Uh, but uh, had some experience before we started. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been an incredible journey. The, the pharmacy career has been really good to me. I've learned so much, met so many great people. So I'm very thankful for it. Nice, nice. So let's fast forward to um, you know 2000, uh, 2020 or so. Um, so you you have a, a, a independent pharmacy. You're you're doing well. Are you doing primarily? you know, retail? Are you, are you reaching into clinical spaces? Are you doing immunizations or, or when did that, uh, kind of, kind of departure from, you know, uh, just traditional fill and bill retail start to bubble up? Well, yeah, I think, you know, traditional fill and bill retail was also always part of the core. It's a core of the business in a sense, but we always had a really deep clinical integration. I've been really blessed to have incredible relationships with the providers in our county. So we've always been a resource for them on dosing and, and advice on, you know, what, what product to choose for a patient to make it more cost effective. Uh, and so we've done immunizations from the start, but yeah, once, uh, COVID came about the health department sought us out to really help, uh, get heavily involved in testing and vaccinating. So I think to date we're well over 30,000 tests and uh, similar number of vaccines. And so, yeah, we've only, continue to build on that model of travel medicine um, and other types of you know clinical services, tuberculosis testing that we're implementing here soon. Um, we've yeah, we've always had a strong clinical foundation. It's always been who we are and um, even more so now. Nice. Nice. So um, you know it is interesting. I, I feel like in a small community, um, we we hear like that there's a little bit different relationship with the within the local healthcare ecosystem between pharmacists and local prescribers where uh, a, a lot of times when you have that kind of, you know, larger, larger ecosystem that you don't have the personal relationships, you know, you hear that pharmacists may, you know, be like uh, perceived as, as second guessing or threatening or, or questioning uh, uh, local physicians instead of working and, and relying on, hey, here's this amazing wealth uh, uh, of resource, of knowledge, of, of pharmaceutical advice that I can tap into. No, absolutely. I think a lot of that comes down to how, you know, there's all kinds of strategies on how you can approach docs um, and, and talk to them. And, and really, we, we need to work hard to not come across as, you know, questioning or being a burden to them, but really, you know, hey, we're a resource here for you. 
Um, so, you know, how we phrase things when we call docs, hey, you know, we'd really like your opinion on this versus what the heck were you thinking when you wrote <laughs> this strength? <laughs> you know, th- those kinds of things go a long way. Um, but also, you know, we get out there, we, we bring goodies to their office and, you know, you work hard to, to get past the receptionist and actually get some FaceTime and, and introduce yourself. Um, and in a small community, it's just easier, you know, at the local football game, you're going to run into 10 of them and you, you make it a point to chat with them or at, uh, you know, the, the rotary auction or the, the hospice auction, you're out there talking to them, shaking hands and kissing babies, you know, kind of like a, a politician would. That's, that's how you build those relationships and that trust over the long term. And it's not something that you can just come into and a week later you have it. Those, those relationships take years to cultivate and maintain. Um, and soon enough, you know, they're relying on you for, for advice. And once they do, I think once most providers get a taste of having a pharmacist as a resource, they, they never want to let it go. So, um, that's really fun. I know for our pharmacists to, they're kind of doing what they always hoped they would do in school is, you know, practicing at the top of their license. Yeah. So were there like specific kind of, um, you know, areas that, that your pharmacy has focused on, maybe, you know, uh, like a podiatry clinic that you've really built relationships and, and kind of focus on, you know, their needs as their prescribing needs uh, for, for that sector? Or, or have you just kind of been more general in the, in the community? I think our focus has been focused mostly on primary care. Quite honestly, yeah. that's that's the in my mind, primary care is its own specialty, right? It doesn't get, you know, primary care docs don't get the the glamour and the recognition that a cardiologist might, but they deal with such. A, they're just like us, you know, generalists. And so, trying to work with prescribers because the most complicated patients that you typically will see are, you know, your complex diabetics. So letting them know, hey, we can help provide all the education on your injectables and the the products that you're not nearly as familiar with. Um, that's where our focus has mostly been. So focusing on those docs. Um, you know, focusing on docs, especially that we have 340B relationships with, you know, because that really helps the pharmacy too, um, helps the whole healthcare system in our area. So, um, and and with the majority of our our providers in this area being from large systems, um, you know, getting access to them can be a little bit more difficult. But because we have those longstanding relationships, we're able to get in and talk to them and and set up lunches and and meet with them. Nice, nice. So, are you finding? Um you know, that the communication with those physicians goes beyond, you know, initial feedback on, on a new prescription or are you, you know, communicating after that fill or, or you know, on the third refill about the, the patient's lab values and, and feedback going both ways? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Definitely case dependent on the patient, you know, but, you know, it's not every patient that you have those conversations about, but certainly, you know, on, on ones whenever an issue comes up, it's a quick call or or fax over, and then it starts the discussion. And um, the docs have been really good about getting back to us and and actually having those those conversations. So I do feel like um, we're able to really move the needle in terms of outcomes. And so the next step is you know trying to get up formal agreements set up with a particular practice or provider group to to funnel those complex patients to us, and let's see how we can document and prove that we're really able to, to, you know, get patients to their hypertension goal or that A1C goal, which there have been num- numerous studies across the country that have proven that. I just really like to do it locally here because um, I think that that would just, you know, we, we need to, we need all the data we can get, right, to show just yeah. how important we are. Yeah. So that's one of the big conversations you always hear is, you know, getting paid for, you know, the work that you're doing outside of filling prescriptions, getting paid more on a, on a performance or results base. Um, but you, you have to have that data. So like how, how are you able to quantify that care and, and share, 
share that progress? You know, I, I don't have that at this point, right? We haven't really done any formal studies. We're working on several with the Washington State Pharmacy Association. There's a hypertension grant that we're participating in, and then some some other, you know, smaller CPSN type agreements with uh, medium to large size employers in our area where we'd like to bring in hypertension and uh, and diabetes type of programs. But uh, we're lucky enough in Washington State to have we've had provider parity and been recognized as providers for several years. Um, we just haven't done much with it, at least on, in our pharmacy, you know, we were focused on COVID, but now that we're on the other side of that, I think for the most part, we've turned a lot of attention this year on, on getting credentialed and enrolled, uh, with the payers so that we can start to hopefully bill for the things that we're already doing and receive some payment for the cognitive services, not just for the, the prescriptions. But, you know, I'm, I'm also, you know, I don't think I'm one of those pharmacists who wants to get away from dispensing. I think it needs to always be there because that's our gateway to seeing these patients. But we should certainly start to see some reimbursement for the, the things that we're doing every day that, that take up time and provide tremendous value to patients. So we've been working with a third party, um, AssureRx, who's been great in helping us get credentialed and enrolled. And they'll help us uh, with the EHR and the billing and the, the revenue cycle management, because this is going to be a completely different beast for us. It's it's not something I understand or pretend to understand. So having their help to walk through this and learn like, hey, this is what we can bill for. This is what's worthwhile to, to try to bill for. Um, it's going to be a really exciting learning process over the next year, I hope, to to really have some good results to report back to you, you know, this time in 2023. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you're doing some things to capture that data now, right? You're you're taking blood pressure readings, you're you're updating those lab values, which, you know, is hypertension seems to be one of the most accessible disease states that a pharmacy can use that month to month interaction with the patient to to keep them moving in a positive direction, and one of the easiest to probably chart with you know getting those blood pressure recordings. Um, so where do you, um, you know, where where do you see that uh, that those services being applied? Like, what do you see as the most um, kind of accessible? And I guess in Washington, you guys are a step ahead in in, in that area. So are you looking at maybe you know uh, chronic care management or uh, you know wellness visits? Where where do you think that the low hanging fruit there is? Gosh, you know. I don't, I don't know exactly what the low, lowest hanging fruit is going to be. You know, we're looking at all avenues. So we're, we're working with a local provider to uh, place a pharmacist at the clinic, you know, Amina's type of model where we will be doing annual wellness visits. And that's that's one arm of it. But within the pharmacy, yeah, it's, it's chronic care management. It's, it's hypertension and diabetes management um, and also billing MTM codes uh, for, you know, uh, CMRs and the types of stuff that you'll typically run through an outcomes type platform we can do those in the pharmacy and bill our time for them. At least that's, that's a theory. And that's what we're working with the RX on is to try to, to prove that model that, Hey, this is a, a viable model, you know, trying to bill vaccines on the medical side and see, you know, if that's a worthwhile process or if we just stick with the way we've been doing it, you know, over time, I think there's a lot of uncertainty and unknowns in that area. Um, it's sort of the Holy grail that we've been talking about for a long time in pharmacy is, you know, billing on the medical side as, as medical providers. And I feel like we're, we're just on yeah. the cusp of that. We're, we're just about there. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to start billing for these services midway through October and we can see, you know, what the process looks like. And it's, it's going to be totally different, right? We're so used to F 12 ing something, you know, in D dot zero format and you instantly know how bad it's going to be typically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. so here, right. Like having that, 
that longer period of waiting and, and experimenting and seeing. But the way I look at it is we're already doing all of these things. It's not like I'm, I'm hiring a pharmacist to come in and, and, and paying their time. And, and it's this really expensive experiment of seeing how it pays out. It's, you know, we're already providing these services. So it's just a matter of trying to navigate with the payers of how we can get paid for what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Amina and I'm, I keep a count of, it seems like every uh, podcast we do, somebody just mentions her by first name only, but, uh, Amina Abubakar with the um, Avant Institute, uh, who, who uh, he was referencing there. And it is interesting. I remember years ago uh, speaking with Beverly Schaefer about provider status and, and how cool it was that she can, you know, not only, um, you know, record lab values or, or provide a point of care test, but she could actually act on that for a set of, you know, uh, predetermined uh, ailments. But that's really kind of that that first step of you know provider status is being able to say yes you do have the flu, how about I do something about it and go ahead and write you Tamiflu, uh, but now being able to say that you know I'm I'm going to actually chart and and do all of the things for chronic care management that are already billable I already have that status so it's going to be neat uh, you know right now there there's a few different solutions we see. Out there, we see you know inter interfaces with basically third-party intermediates like uh, Transactor X coming into Pioneer RX. Now, we see pharmacies setting up their own EHRs just to be able to have access to those tools and and go through the credentialing there. Uh, a lot of different ways we're seeing those solutions come about. And you mentioned Assure RX as your uh, your current solution. So, do you see? You know, pharmacies being able to, you know, just fire off an e-care plan that's disseminated at some point, or do you think it's going to to be maybe uh, almost like filling a prescription with new data fields? I'm I'm curious to see where, as a pharmacist, do you think that what that looks like in five years? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I would hope it would be as simple as you know, because we're so used to working within the pioneer type of workflow and having things quick and easy. Uh, I don't know if that's possible. I think that the way, you know, physicians and nurse practitioners and physicians assistants document and bill is very different than how we practice. So if we want to get paid like they do, we're going to have to adopt some of that, right? We can't, it's probably unrealistic for us to think that we can change that entire industry and, and bend it to our will. So there's probably going to be some in between there. Um, I think that the claims part of it is one really small piece. I think the credentialing and enrollment quite honestly, for me, has been the most confusing part. It is this, you know, we're, I'm used to my PSAO sending me the sign this or don't sign this sort of letter. Um, and it takes the guesswork out of it. You know, need to, you know, Benjamin Jolly understands it, but I have no idea what's going <laughs> on. Right. So if he says sign it, I'm going. Um, but with the, the medical credentialing and, and enrollment, we don't have the PSAOs to help us through that process of even how to get started. And each state, quite honestly, is so different. So I think that's where these partners, uh, the Ashara exits of the world or, you know, whoever you're using can really help you get through that until at some point there's enough people through the system in each state that it's a little bit more, um, I guess, you know, their steps are spelled out a little bit better right now. I feel like Lewis and Clark marching across the country, you know, it's, you're just kind of learning as you go. Um, so it's been great to have help doing that, but 
As far as the claim side, I, we do need a way to streamline it because we know pharmacists are busy. Um, so it's unrealistic for them to spend a half an hour with documentation. You know, we've seen like you guys made tremendous improvements on the e-care plan side of things. It used to take us, you know, forever to submit one. Now it's a lot easier. And so over time, as more people do it, I definitely think we're going to see some streamlining. But I think it's also probably practical to assume that workflow is going to need to be a little bit different for these types of services, just like our training is going to be different and how patients walk into the pharmacies is going to be different for these types of services. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, how do you go about even approaching a patient who is so used to a big box pharmacy experience? You know, how do you realign those expectations and let them know that, hey, we, you know, we're going to do med sync, we're going to have an appointment based model, and I can, you know, take care of all your, uh, uh, vaccination needs, your travel vaccines, you know, how, how do you completely kind of wipe a preconceived uh, notion of an industry and, and reestablish that? Yeah, I mean, that's always a challenge. But I think once patients walk through our door, they instantly know something's different, right? You know, I think sometimes we're so friendly to the point where people think that it's a little sketchy, you know, like, what is, is this guy going to try to sell me a timeshare? <laughs> what? You know, uh, so once they're in the in, they, they know that this is a different experience. And then over time, you know, we can't bombard patients with all that at once. It's, you know, hey, let's get you into the system. Let's get you on sync. And this is what sync is, right? It's not just auto refill. It's it's an uh, opportunity for us to really look at everything and and have a better clinical picture and set up a time to talk with you each month. Um, and then showing them what else we can do. So all that comes down to just smart marketing, which I'm not the best at, but we try, you know, we're super active on social media, just telling patients, you know, what we're doing, what's new, what's not new, you know, Hey, we've been, we've been, uh, sort of blister packing or, or Mediset packaging medications for 20 years. Uh, but you might not have known that was even an option. So just letting them know within the four walls and, and outside of those, of what's available to them. Um, and each visit that they come in every month to pick up those medications is another touch point with a bag stuffer or a conversation of, hey, you know, I think this is the a good service that you could benefit from or, or your, your mom or dad might be able to take advantage of. So slowly but surely, I, I don't want to inundate anybody with that. Um, it's not a boot camp type experience where we're trying to <laughs> indoctrinate yeah. independent pharmacy. But, you know, it's I think they immediately get the vibe that there's something special here, something different at this place. Yeah, and that's that's interesting too. Just that uh, you know, being able to offer so much that you lose the uh, you lose the message with with offering too much at, at once. You can definitely overwhelm and uh, and miss out on on some of those opportunities. Uh, you mentioned your social media, and I think that's neat because I, uh, I I was looking at your Facebook page, and this video came up, and I was like. Oh man, I thought Chris was cooler than this. How could he have such a pretentious Lamborghini on his opening video? Like, what is this guy? And the camera continues to zoom out, and it's a, it's a uh, Power Wheels, you know, with uh, I'm sure somebody's uh, child there at the pharmacy and that, <laughs> driving that around. My, yeah, my daughter. Yeah, and it's not even my toy Lamborghini. I had to rent it. I can't even afford that little one. Um, Talk to John Hire about that, but uh, no, it was uh, <laughs> it, it, that, that kind of stuff is super fun to do, right? Like you take the yeah. marketing and just have fun with it, and people love it. And so we've really we've done several videos. We did some videos on COVID vaccines, um, on our medication disposal box. Uh, you know, you just kind of think it, whatever idea, any the dumber the better, I think. Uh, yeah, and you just have to get comfortable with 
making a fool of yourself sometimes or if you put your daughter in it and she's super cute, I mean, you can do anything and it's a winner. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that never hurts. <laughs> yeah, I saw that video and and I was I, I got a great laugh out of it. I thought it was really, really fun the way you you did that. If, if anybody that hasn't seen it, it's, uh, you know, this. Lamborghini uh, that he zooms out and it's, you know, highlighting the pharmacy, different aspects of the pharmacy, the drive through. Uh, I think she gets a coffee from the uh, the coffee shop. I thought that was really fun. Another thing I noticed when I was looking at your website is that you had some like, you know, really great uh, photography, nice web design. Um, but then when I go to the Facebook page, I recognize all the people. So it's not stock images. Um you know, it seemed like, okay, this is an authentic, you know, family ran business in the community. And um, I, I think that's an easy thing to overlook, you know, and, and just maybe grab some stock images or, or, you know, try to try to be a little bit uh, sterile or separated and not have, you know, to separate the business and, and the, but, but I think the authenticity of, of that family engagement comes through in a really, really positive way. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't do stock images. I just, I'm not a believer in that. That's what the big box guys do. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a background in, in professional photography. I shot weddings for several years out of pharmacy school. And, um, you know, I built websites for various companies as we started them and, and, and started other businesses along the way. And so we're able to do all of that in house and update it. You know, not everybody has that ability, but you know, it doesn't need to be a great photo, you know, like web resolution, your iPhone is, is good enough. So, you know, take some some good photos in portrait mode, give them to whoever's doing your website and and have them put it up there. I mean, people, they want to see you. They want to understand the the personality and the passion behind the business. And they want I, I truly believe people, they want to rally behind companies that they believe in, you know, the Patagonias of the world and the the uh, the Shafter pharmacies or the Palm Harbor pharmacies. They, it's part of the community and they, they're proud to support it. I mean, people come in and pick up shirts and sweatshirts that we have and you'll, you'll go to a soccer game and you'll see people wearing your logo. And I mean, that's the ultimate compliment to me. Um, but, you know, at the same time, as we grow, I was always for a long time the face of the business. And so it's it's also a strategy of how do I pull myself out of that so I can let my staff shine. So as much as we can, social media, we try to make it about the staff you know, they're not as comfortable being on the camera or being on social media. So in the end, I end up doing a lot of it, <laughs> but we're trying to build it. You know, the pharmacy is not just me. It's a whole team of incredible people that really, I mean, I, you know, I'm not on the bench anymore. I don't, I don't even know how to fill a prescription. I, I staffed last week and it took me an hour to check three prescriptions. So it's truly like these other individuals that do so much great work. Um, they are the pharmacy. So, you know, it, it's a balance of, of, of my face on there, but also, trying to separate myself so that we can grow and maybe add additional locations in the future and, and still have that community feel, but not be based on one individual. Yeah. So that's an interesting, um, kind of, kind of reoccurring theme that we, we see here when we talk to the pharmacy leaders, there's, there's a point where your job becomes, you know, managing something bigger than, uh, the bench, duties every day, right? Like you, you have to be working on your pharmacy, not just working in your pharmacy to be really that next level. So tell me a little bit about when you made that decision, how, how you saw that need develop. And, and then, you know, that's a, that's a big plunge to hire another pharmacist. If you're an independent pharmacist, if you're the, the running the bench, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big step. 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, when you're on the bench, it's it's all encompassing. And I think the way independent pharmacists practice, especially, I mean, it's 100% of your effort and energy is focused on that to the point when you check out at the end of the day, there's not a lot of energy left over to to work on the business or develop new programs or bring new services in. So, yeah, I mean, we made that that conscious decision that, hey, we're going to hire this person. We're going to add it to the budget and we are going to see one how it performs and also how it makes me feel. And quite honestly, it gave me the mental clarity and headspace. And and I, I truly love what I do now and how I do it, that I can be in the pharmacy, but I'm I'm working on other things. I'm, I'm giving my pharmacists the tools they need to practice at the top of their license and provide our patients with great care. And, you know, I had a lot of great mentors along the way that that have multiple stores. And, and that's the, really the only way to do it you know, to continue to grow. I mean, it seems like every day now everybody has multiple stores. You know, I'm, I'm kind of slacking here with one. I try to figure out what I'm doing with my life uh, and what went wrong. <laughs> but, you know, um, it, it's once once you're off the bench, you can look at things in a completely different perspective. And yeah. it's a it's a little bit easier. You know, you're not in the weeds and it was getting to the point looking at reimbursements coming through on every prescription that you started to to lose the passion and the energy for it. So now, you know, I still see that in an aggregate in a report, but I'm able to deal with it more in an analytical way than an emotional way when I'm seeing mm -hmm. it, you know, on a patient by patient basis. And yeah, it's it's um it's just a transition in in your job, right? My job title from pharmacist on duty to just I guess manager in charge. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that that's really interesting. I mean, you know, that that enables you to go out and find those new opportunities and concentrate on, you know, the important and because there's always the urgent, you know, 20 prescriptions that need to be checked, <laughs> patients waiting. Um and and urgent is going to win out over important all, you know, every day. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's no shortage of fires, right? Even in a heavily sync-based pharmacy, you know, with an appointment-based model like ours is stuff always comes up. And so, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of bandwidth left over to work on point of care testing or bringing in these services that honestly at the outset seem kind of daunting because it's such a departure from what you do. So having me just in my office cooking up an idea and then I present it to my now overwhelmed pharmacist so they can have that feeling, is, <laughs> that's my job now. <laughs> but, you know, also providing them with the tools so they feel like they can take on those additional projects, right? Like we have to look at efficiencies and workflow so that there's time left over, you know, with each patient to spend with them. You know, like my rule is if you want to spend 15 minutes with a patient, do it. You know, like we just have to structure our day so that we have that freedom and flexibility to, to have those, that quality time with patients. Yeah. So you, uh, started out 2018, a lot of, uh, you know, personal, uh, uh, medical issues to, to, to get through planning out a new pharmacy, find a new pharmacy, remodel, move in, uh, all during COVID. It, it sounds like you're very, very, um, good at multitasking and used to having, you know, every burner at, uh, at, at for full blast. So what now, what happens when COVID winds down, uh, the, the paints dry on the walls, the, the, the coffee is uh, brewing uh, every day at the coffee shop there and, and things uh, start to approach a new level of a new normal. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, I have a hard time uh, imagining uh, Chris Scheffner letting things uh, hold a status quo for much time. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I see the, the medical billing um, is big on the plate. What, what do you see in the next couple of years? uh, on the roadmap. 
Yeah, I think medical billing will be a big focus of ours. Absolutely. I mean, and to, to your point, I'm, I'm looking forward to a new normal, right? Because a new yeah. normal allows us to continue to innovate where we're not just, you know, banging out 200 vaccines a day, which which is also fun. Um, so, yeah, medical billing, um, working with a couple of independent providers offices to place pharmacists in there. Again, that Amina model. Um, and I, I say Amina like, I, you know, she has no idea who I am. I just know her <laughs> name. <laughs> but... Um, you know, working on that, gosh, we, we bought another coffee shop in another town last week. So, and we're looking at hopefully acquiring another pharmacy here, uh, in the next month or so. So continuing to grow oh, wow. and look for opportunities. I think that there's always something. Yeah. Once one project, the day I'm done with a project or getting years completion, I'm looking for the next thing. Um, it probably yeah, annoys same. my staff and my family <laughs> Yeah, to, to no end, but, uh, yeah, you know, I think I, I have to have like a coffee business to support my hobby of pharmacy. So we'll keep, uh, keep growing on that front and, uh, keep working on whatever comes our way next. So if you don't mind, uh, sharing, it sounds like you're, you're in the middle. Uh, but you know, what do you, what, what gives you confidence? What, what are the, the green light, the, the accelerators, the, um, the things that say, yes, this is the good option for, multi-location. This is the second store, or maybe this one doesn't meet the metrics I'm looking for, or, you know, there, there's a threshold that I haven't met that makes me feel comfortable doing this. Like what, what's your green light on a, on a new pharmacy, on a second pharmacy? Is it a, a startup? Is it an existing or does it matter? You know, I, I wish I had like a, a more like Harvard MBA type approach to it. <laughs> Unfortunately, like I'm more of like a back of the napkin kind of guy, but really yeah. for the pharmacy we're looking at now, it's the feel from the community. I think it's a very similar community to where we are now that would truly appreciate the type of service we bring in. Um, the payer mix is very similar to what we have now. So I know, you know, financially that the volume they're at should help to, to service the debt essentially on it. Um, you know, it's not perfect by any means. You know, I, if you, you put your top 10 list of things you want for a pharmacy, you know, certainly drive through now is, is a requirement. You know, it doesn't have that, but there's always options to, to get creative and look for another bank to remodel in the future. <laughs> so, you know, it's really, a, it's, it's sort of a gut feeling. Um, and also too, like proximity to my current location in my home, right? I don't want to be spending hours in the car every week driving. Like if I can, can I shoot over there in an hour or or less, right? Is there going to be traffic that's going to drive me crazy and make me throw laptops through the window on the freeway? Um, you know, I try to avoid those types of things. So, uh, yeah, just, just, I guess I got feeling and, uh, you know, it's also opportunity, you know, they, they sort of present themselves, you know, with other owners looking to retire. Um, you know, you might not have considered it in the past, but you know, sometimes those, those opportunities just seem to present themselves to you. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, um, you know, there there's so many different factors that, that go into that. You know, when when you when you look at the prescription volume, the the payer mix, do you do you see opportunities where you say, oh man, you know, I can I can see that they're leaving these opportunities open, like these you know therapeutic classes or these you know uh, uh, enhanced services that are underutilized. You know, I'm I'm always curious. It's such a big leap to uh, you know, what really, what really indicates success. But I guess if they were doing it one way uh, and, and surviving for so long, then, you know, there's yeah. something there, right? 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, looking at, you know, can we operationalize this a little bit better? Can we make it more efficient, yeah. especially on the purchasing side? You know, can we bring it into a larger group? And that's something we've looked at is, you know, with scale, can we drive down the cost of doing business enough that these razor thin margins have a little bit more room in them for us to hire, you know, a pharmacist one. So I'm not mired in benching duties there, but um, that allow us once we prove that this medical billing model is viable, you know, that's another avenue for us to see patients and have access to patients to help provide those services. And at the end of the day, truly, it's just a, it's a passion too, right? Like it's what we do. You know, you want to bring these types of services to another community that doesn't have it at, at this level right now. So, um, yeah, mostly I think most pharmacists are really good operationally. They're good at looking at workflow and, and looking for improvements. And, and so I think there's a lot of, pharmacies are still operating, you know, how they did back in the nineties. And so if we can, we can utilize technology to, to look for the opportunities, you know, there, there's gotta be something there that we can, we can develop and maximize. Yeah, for sure. And so outside of the community, outside of, uh, making sure everybody is caffeinated and having that community hub serving their travel needs and, uh, immunizations, you know, it's it seems like there's also that that third leg that we see, um, you know, from community, uh, from uh, just you know, community engagement, uh, pharmacy services, and then there's that that third leg of you know, precepting and advocacy that that seems to to be one of the pillars of you know the pharmacy leaders that we talk to, and so you're very involved with CPESN in your uh, in your state. Um, also, recent award winner for the uh, WSPA uh, Award of Distinction. So, congratulations! Uh, and then, also, um, you know, moving forward with more involvement with your your state uh, uh, program as well. So, you know, what do you think that that contributes, or, or do you think that that's a, a necessary function to uh, you know moving? not only your pharmacy, but the, the, uh, profession forward. Absolutely. For moving the profession forward, you know, um, honestly, in some ways it's sort of a chicken and egg type of deal. You know, at first when we opened the pharmacy, I didn't have the time or the, the freedom to get more involved in organizations like CPSN and the Washington state pharmacy association. But as I've been able to pull myself off the bench, there, there's a couple hours, you know, a week that you can spend on those things. And the return to our the pharmacy honestly has been quite incredible just because again, it goes back to network, you know, you, you meet people and, and it feels good to help advocate, you know, legislatively and, and on a policy basis to try to ensure that community pharmacy remains viable into the future. Like we all know and understand, and I think communities get how pivotal a role community pharmacy plays in the healthcare delivery system. And we have to ensure that it's available in the future. So I, I really love working Washington State Pharmacy Association on that, um, you know, and and trying to use my network to to benefit them. So I'm currently running for a board of directors position with them. We'll see if if I made the cut. So, um, but uh, and yeah, I was quite an honor to be recognized for them. I think it was the Distinguished uh, Leadership Award. Um, I kind of joked that I, I just think they had nobody else to give it to, so they drew out of a hat and I got it. But um, <laughs> I, I'm quite honored. You know, there's so many great pharmacists not just in Washington state, but around the country that are just doing incredible work. And I'm humbled to, to get to hang out with them at conferences and learn from them and try to bring that back home and, and be a resource for my community and my state association. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Congrats on that. And I know there's definitely no shortage of uh, rock star pharmacy professionals in Washington. Uh, I mean, just our recent lineups, <laughs> like I said, we've uh, only only pinpointed a couple of them. But, um, you know, I think I think you're right. You know, as as you're stepping off the bench, when when you're working on your business, you see these bigger issues. And, and it's like, you know what, how how can I fix these bigger issues? And it's not just your pharmacy. It's, it's a state of the industry. So it's, it, uh, it, it is really neat to see 2022, 2021. We had, you know, a lot of, a lot of small victories for, you know, pharmacies, uh, overall. I know Arkansas had a lot of, uh, a lot of progress and it's exciting to see. Yeah. I think this is probably the most exciting time in the last two decades, certainly since I've been practicing of, of where we're seeing things go from a policy and legislative standpoint. And, you know, it's not going to be a quick fix, right? It's not like overnight the bleeding stops, but I feel like at least we have a lot of momentum moving forward. And, and now the, the struggles we've been facing are they're publicly acknowledged and, and recognized and starting to be understood from legislators. And that's the first step in, in trying to, to fix that. But at the same time, we all need to be really active and continuing to develop our business and diversify revenue streams away from just dispensing. But hopefully we need to fix dispensing as well, because again, that's, that's the core of what we do. And it, it allows us access to patients so that we can help them in other ways. And we need to to continue to advocate and work. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things you you you've heard complaints about low reimbursements and and moving to other you know other areas to supplement. But um, I, I don't I don't think replace is the uh, is the key there. <laughs> no, it has to. We need it all, right? And and um, I just think you know how many problems do do, do pharmacists solve every day for patients? You know, we don't we don't even think about how many things we do. Uh, that that help people in their healthcare journey, you know, and so we have to work to to remain active because it, it would be a sad day to see that disappear. I mean, you would certainly see healthcare in this country, you know, spiral down quickly. So, um, but it's one of those things, you know, you don't recognize how important things are sometimes until they're they're gone. So um, we just need to prevent that from getting there, and that's why it's been so rewarding and and inspiring to work with state and national associations on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it is neat. There's, uh, I, I feel like there's kind of a trend now to kind of reconnect to some of those things. You know, generations like ours that have lost blockbusters. You know, <laughs> uh, and that's a, a small, small part of like uh, our, you know, social fabric growing up that that has been removed. And and you know, people have taken note of that. I think pharmacy is one of those things that. Um, uh, I think especially after COVID has that kind of renewed sense of, you know, this is part of the fabric of, of our community and, and, and it's important to support. Absolutely. And kind of like, you know, like you have the blockbuster analogy, I would argue like streaming services improve that, but you know, if, if we go away, mail order does not improve it, you know? No, Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know. I was watching stranger things and, you know, uh, there's a scene where they're picking out the movies and, that's such an experience that now, you know, that experience is it is it is different with streaming. You you spend more time just flipping through and then watch nothing. So I know. I mean, it was a whole thing to go. I mean, I remember Friday nights you go down to Blockbuster and thumb through it and the movie actually wants out of stock. And, you know, I mean, gosh, the struggles my children will never know. No, no. So far we've come though. <laughs> 
Well, I'm going to let you get back to work. Uh, I look forward to checking in with you uh, here in a few months uh, and and hearing about the new pharmacy, the the new coffee shops, the new flavors, the new adventures. So thanks so much for joining us and uh, keep me updated on on everything that's uh, that's going on. Cool. Thanks, Will. It was an honor to be here and uh, it was great getting to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.